Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. docket today we're gonna do things a little different this episode and cover a few stories about bizarre black markets i have a bevy of illegal treasures here in my trench coat to share with you today before you listen to the episode go to the truecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where i curate visual aids to accompany the show This week, we have photos of seemingly innocent items you would never believe are cash cows on the black market. So check those out. Now, let's dive into this underworld of obscure, illicit oddities. I've got three minis and a main story, two of which do not currently have podcast episodes dedicated to them yet, at least none that rank on Google. So someone out there, make a full show or series starting with topic one, glass eels. Here in Maine, we had a glass eel gold rush on our hands that peaked around 2014. These are a species of baby eels commonly referred to as elvers, and they look like adorable little animated noodles. Catch a gallon of these babies and you could pocket 10 grand on the black market. Elvers are a delicacy in many East Asian countries. They are in highest demand in Japan. But elvers are a slippery little species with mysterious migration and breeding habits. Hmm, sounds like my ex-husband. Kidding, I am kidding. I'm actually a widow and my husband disappeared under mysterious circumstances and now I run a big cat rescue. Moving on... Aquaculturists have yet to find ways to successfully farm-raise them, and wild elvers only live and breed in a few specific locations around the world. Like many other salty characters, they seem to enjoy the carefree living here down east on the coast of Maine, especially by Haba. 
They are caught by the hundreds in their juvenile stages before they are allowed to reach adulthood and breed. It is technically legal to catch elvers in Maine, but you need a license, and only a few are given out every year. Yes, there is such a thing as a license to eel. But some anglers would illegally poach these baby elvers, sell them to licensed dealers who would mix them with legally caught eels, then fudge the shipping documents and send them off to East Asia. Things quickly got out of hand here. There were turf wars and poachers getting poached by other poachers, stories of people being held at gunpoint in the middle of the night having their illegal stash cleaned out. It was getting gnarly. Then everything came to a head when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement launched an undercover sting operation called Operation Broken Glass. Yo, I want that job coming up with sting operation names. FBI, I know you're already secretly listening, so call me. After Operation Broken Glass was executed, 19 poachers were arrested, and tons of new regulations have been put in place to deter future poachers. But sadly, what probably changed the tide the most is that the elver population has collapsed. That's all I have for now on this. Anyone out there who knows more about elvers or has an update, get in touch with me. I think this would make an awesome podcast series, especially with game wardens, and showcase the beautiful Maine accent. <clears throat> well, I was moseying down to the pier to get a lobster, and my car got stoved up wicked, bub. Okay, here's the second story that should absolutely have its own podcast series. It's the professional uniform black market. Police uniforms and military uniforms are the obvious ensembles that might come to mind. But the black market uniform that surprised me the most was Japanese flight attendant uniforms. There was a trending story back in 2010 when a major Japanese airline had to lay off a number of their employees. Some of these ex-flight attendants sold their uniforms on the black market. My first thought was that folks were buying these to pose as flight attendants to get a free ride. But instead, the majority of people purchasing these uniforms were folks in the fetish community. This airline, already fearing bad press, now had to contend with their branded uniforms being put into uh, compromising positions. To this day, official flight attendant uniforms from nearly every major airline are in high demand on the black market. To each their own. I personally think the Best Buy uniforms are pretty zazzy myself. In fact, that's how I met my second ex-husband. Okay, moving on to the black market that came into my orbit more recently. This story comes from the show Blocked and Reported. These guys typically discuss critiques on journalism and cover culture war topics, which isn't really my jam. I think that sort of divisiveness is just really depressing. And I'd rather consume content that's better for my mental health. Like true crime, thank you very much. But every once in a blue moon, you get a gem from Blocked and Reported where they cover an obscure story from the internet that reminds me of vintage 2015 Reply All. Uh, if podcasts were a wine, Reply All circa 2015 would be my favorite vintage and varietal. And the episode that gave me those same grippy tannins is Blocked and Reported episode 161 titled Detective Herzog and the Millionaire Kitty Cartel. 
you are going to have to fast forward past the adult diaper talk to minute 46 of the episode. And no, I am not kidding. And there you will learn about a story that involves cats, Facebook groups, and pharmaceuticals. I know, right? So first we learn about this horrible disease that young cats get called FIP, feline infectious periodontis. It's a debilitating and usually fatal inflammatory disease for little kitties. It just sounds so awful. And there is also little veterinarians can legally do to intervene. So FIP affected cat owners have been turning to the internet for a black market miracle cure that can cost upwards of $10,000. It's a drug prescribed to humans as a treatment for COVID called remdesivir, which is made by the pharmaceutical manufacturer Gilead. This drug has been used off-label in trials to successfully cure little cats with FIP. So why isn't this in every veterinary hospital in the country making Gilead tons of money, win-win no-brainer, you ask? Well, hold on, all you cool cats and kittens out there. Gilead is refusing to authorize its use for pets out of caution that it could interfere with remdesivir's FDA approval for human consumption. So yeah, thousands of cats are dying from a potentially curable disease because a drug company has to cover its tush to avoid potential litigation. Either that, or maybe they're just dog people. So instead of sitting back and watching their pets die of FIP, cat lovers have created these, quote, support groups on Facebook for people desperately looking for remdesivir or generic forms to cure their cats. And one community quickly becomes the pick of the litter, a Facebook group called FIP Warriors, run by a gal named Robin Kintz. It starts out all well and good. Robin herself is a pet parent of a cat who survived FIP after she was able to obtain life-saving treatment from the internet. So Robin organizes a group of volunteers to make the process easier and safer. The group skyrockets to over 43,000 members. So here's how it works. There are several drug suppliers of generic treatments of remdesivir, usually coming from China. The drugs get shipped to the admins of the group. Then there are claims that they get tested on cats at animal refuges. And then admins sell the drugs to group members. This gets complicated, as you can imagine. There are differing forms of FIP. Some cases are way more severe than others, especially depending on how far the disease has progressed in the little kitty cat. So there's also a variety of treatments at a range of costs available depending on the pet owner's unique needs. And it appears that there was some unscrupulous practices taking place. The admins were supposedly not making money, but it turns out some were taking kickbacks from pharmaceutical sellers and recommending the higher cost treatments over others. Whistleblower admins get kicked out of the group and the whole thing turns into a big cat fight. There is so much more to this story, so be sure to check out that episode of Blocked and Reported if you are a friend of felines and want to learn more. Now for our main event. A story about the wacky world of Venus flytrap black markets, brought to us by the podcast Criminal. Okay, when I say I review shows from the past decade, I really mean it. This episode of Criminal originally aired nine years ago, 
and host Phoebe Judge brought the goods then, and she continues to bring the hits to this day. Come through, Phoebe! You will hear reviews of some of my other favorite stories from Criminal in coming episodes, but for now, let's talk fly traps. Here's a synopsis from the show Criminal and my best Phoebe Judge diction. <clears throat> Every year for the past few years, tens of thousands of fly traps have gone missing. From the wild, from gardens, from nurseries. And really, nobody knows where they go. What's cropped up in rural North Carolina is essentially a Venus flytrap crime ring with lackeys, middlemen, and a mysterious end buyer who's perpetuating the market. Dot com. I'm Angela Ferrari, pretending to be Phoebe Judge, and this is not criminal. End scene. Ah, Phoebe, I adore you and your iconic voice, and I am tempted to do something criminal just so you cover my story. Until then, let us travel with the criminal crew to the southeast corner of Swampland, North Carolina. One of the only places in the world where Venus flytraps grow wild. We visit Flytrap Farm, which sells, you guessed it, Venus flytraps. And they just had a break-in. Someone cleaned out their entire supply. Over 18,000 plants worth an estimated $65,000. Why are these things so special? Contrary to Little Shop of Horrors, flytraps don't grow into ginormous human-eating monsters. They actually only grow about five inches high. How they work is quite amazing, especially considering they don't have any brains. Ugh, sounds like my other ex-husband. What they have instead is a bright red opening that oozes sweet nectar to attract insects. When an insect approaches the target, it passes by one of the plant's many fibers suspended across the opening that acts as a hair trigger to snap shut on an unsuspecting bug. In addition to the flytrap farm break-in, plant thieves have also been trespassing and snatching up wild flytraps all over the area. We see the typical black market tropes of turf wars, poachers poaching poachers, and even plant thieves tattling on each other to law enforcement. The owner of Flytrap Farm shockingly admits that they can't be sure if plants they buy are obtained legally or not because it's nearly impossible to tell. So essentially, they could be buying illegal plants to replace the ones that were stolen from them. It's a huge underground ring of hungry, hungry flytrap. But why? Who is demanding all of these rare plants? Is it a bizarre cult of people who worship flies, the Church of Flyantology, whose mission it is to exact revenge on this carnivorous plant? Nope. The demand is coming from somewhere even more eccentric. Let's go to New York City. Here we meet Richard Ostro, who runs Carnivora Research International, originally founded by a German physician named Helmut Keller in the 1970s. Carnivora Research Institute specializes in Venus flytrap extract, right? Doesn't it sound like a nerdy Bond movie setup? Ah, I love it. So what possible miracle does extract of Venus flytrap cure? Mega warts? Unibrows? Dull personalities? God, why do I keep bringing up my many ex-husbands? Maybe I should just give them all a quick call. The number you have dialed 
Mm, number no longer in service? Dag. Uh, anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, the miracle cure for extract of Venus flytrap is... All forms of cancer, of course. Though Richard Ostro is quick to point out, for legal purposes, that Carnivora Research Institute and its products do not claim to cure or prevent cancer, and they are instead a, quote, powerful immune defense supplement. Got it? Also... He denies buying Venus flytraps illegally from North Carolina, okay? Instead, he claims to be getting his flytraps in by the kilo from the Netherlands and China, where they grow tissue from the plants in their underground evil layers. I mean, laboratories, to create genetically identical material for the extract. Isn't that delightful? So at the end of the day, we are left with poachers, Farmers and buyers of Venus flytraps all denying their involvement in the illegal harvesting, buying, and selling of these plants. Everyone's sitting back singing Shaggy's Wasn't Me. And sadly, there's likely no end to the flytrap thieving in sight. Because even if someone does get caught poaching them in the wild, the fines are so minuscule that it is just a tiny fee of doing business and a laughable deterrent to prevent future theft. It's a tragic story. Much like my romantic history. And it's the inspiration behind my new book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus Flytrap Laboratories. Speaking of which, I wonder if Dr. Richard Ostra from Carnivore Research International is dating anyone. Ah, we made it through my dumb jokes about my very fictional romantic history and our black market shopping spree in one piece. Speaking of shopping sprees, I have original True Crime Feed podcast merch available at thetruecrimefeed.com. I knew I was going to cover today's story about flytraps before I even officially launched the podcast and was inspired to create a design with a Venus flytrap wearing headphones that says, Feed me. Yay, now it all makes sense. You can have this design or one of my other original creations printed on t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Don't go buying them on the black market, y'all. Instead, go to thetruecrimefeed.com slash merch. To talk more bizarre illegal oddity gossip, get in touch with me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Hey, True Crime Feed listeners, I have a teensy little ask of you. I need your help to grow my audience so I can keep the stories coming. So I'm asking you to take a moment and share True Crime Feed with five friends you think will enjoy the show. Like a fun, awesome pyramid scheme, but you still get to hang on to your money. Cool. And if you want extra gold stars, go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for True Crime Feed. I am an independent one woman show, and you taking a moment to do this will help me grow and compete with the big networks out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now back to the show. And we're back. Alrighty, before we start, dude, there's a bunch of new shows that popped up this week. I'm really excited about the launch of Killing on King Road about the Idaho murders set to air in June, and I'm also really pumped to start Freeway Phantom. I had a really hard time narrowing the list down to just three. But here are the official three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. 
at the number three spot, we have Blind Plea. Here's a rundown from the show page. In 2017, Devin Gray, a young mother, shot and killed her abusive partner in a remote trailer in rural Shelby County, Alabama. She claimed self-defense and filed a stand-your-ground claim. Instead of freedom, she was handed a, quote, blind plea, an option to take an unknown sentence in exchange for pleading guilty. Okay, so what's crazy about the show is that the man that was shot and killed in the story, his grandmother shot and killed her abusive husband on that same property decades ago. The grandmother was found not guilty and faced no jail time, but Devin is sentenced to 15 years. I'm on episode two and I am very engaged so far. I can't anticipate where it's going to go next, but I really hope they don't run out of runway. So fingers crossed there's much more to unpack in future episodes. And for now, I am hooked on Blind Plea. At the number two spot, we once again have Scamanda. Here's a synopsis from the show. Amanda is a wife, a mother, a blogger, a Christian, a charming, beautiful, bubbly young woman who lives life to the fullest. But Amanda is dying with a secret she doesn't want anyone to know. She starts a blog detailing her cancer journey and becomes an inspiration, touching and captivating her local community, as well as followers all over the world. Until one day, investigative producer Nancy gets an anonymous tip telling her to look at Amanda's blog, setting Nancy on an unimaginable road to uncover Amanda's secret. Yes, I listened to the first few episodes and yep, it totally lives up to the name. Although I'm not sure who is scammier in this case yet. Amanda Scamanda or her husband, Corey Scamori. I don't want to spoil too much, but I will leave you with this little tidbit or I guess a meet cute of how Amanda and her husband, Corey originally met. Amanda was a young cheer mentor slash big sister figure to Corey's daughter. Then he divorces his first wife and gets with Amanda. So there's that. I do have a different show as my official number one, but I'll admit, Scamanda is the show I am currently the most excited for a new episode to drop. And at the number one spot, we once again have Silence the Radio Murders. Here's a synopsis from the show. A chilling wave of murder sweeps through Little Haiti, a Miami neighborhood that is home to many Haitian exiles. The victims are radio broadcasters using the airways to demand democracy at home. Little Haiti is up in arms, calling for justice for their fallen heroes. But the investigation stalls. And to this day, the masterminds remain free. And rumors persist about cocaine trafficking, CIA assets, and transnational coups. Okay, I originally wanted to switch it up and possibly entertain a new show for the number one spot, but then Silence the Radio Murders dropped episode four of the series titled Death Squad. If you were on the fence about this show or have dipped in and out, I think this is the episode that will make you a devotee as well. I felt like I was getting an education about a secret war I had no idea ever occurred. Some of those battles were carried out by Haitian paramilitary groups on American soil during the same time period Michael Jordan was playing basketball. 
To me, this show is capital I important, and I will continue to champion this extraordinary reporting. Take the time and listen to Silence the Radio Murders. Now for my miss of the week. We have Undetermined from Tenderfoot TV. Here's a show synopsis. In a coroner's report, the word undetermined is used to describe the cause or manner of death when there's insufficient evidence to lend a more specific classification. In 2019, Jessica Easterly Durning went missing from her New Orleans home. Her body was found days later, just two and a half blocks away. Her death was classified as undetermined. But due to evidence of foul play, her friends and family believe someone played a role in her suspicious disappearance. This is a case I'm glad to be aware of, but they dragged it out way too long. I think this story would have been so much better if it was edited down to four episodes. I know, I get that a podcast series usually needs to be six or more episodes, but don't punish the listeners with all this filler, brah. Because now I have to punish you and send Undetermined down my podcast queue trapdoor. Find out next week if Silence the Radio Murders will continue to dominate the number one spot as the series continues or if another show will swoop in and dunk on it. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. If you enjoyed today's Black Market episode, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice and join me next week for another feeding.